going to continue this subject on the new covenant, and today we're talking about the new covenant enemies. This is actually part three. Um, there's probably going to be about five or six parts, but this is part three. And so the Bible says in uh, Philippians that there are enemies of the cross. And this is what we've been talking about, the enemies of the cross of Jesus. And so in Hebrews chapter 10, I want to come to this passage of scripture that I pray we will be able to really, you know, just be able to understand and God could speak to us about this. In Hebrews 10, 26, it says, For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins. And I want us to understand what this means, because a lot of times when we just read one verse of Scripture, then we can take something out of context in a very gross way. And we could build a doctrine from there and we could say, okay, whoever sins willfully, um, there's no more sacrifice for sins. That's a really dangerous thing to say because almost every sin is a willful sin. Almost every one of them. Um, the Bible says, and I'm just going to refer to this in the book of James, it says, uh, Verse 13 of chapter 1, let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. When lust has conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. And so we understand that there's a process that happens before we actually sin. And temptation is not a sin. Jesus was tempted in every point, but he sinned not. All right? And that doesn't mean that everything you're tempted with, Jesus was tempted with. I do not believe Jesus was tempted with homosexuality, say. Um, but Jesus, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, you see that when the devil took him to the top of the mountain, the top of the pinnacle, and turning the stones to bread because he was hungry. And every point he was tempted, but he didn't sin. But temptation is not a sin. And there are times, that if you understand this in the book of James, it says this is the process that a person begins to go through before sin has actually been conceived. And it says, number one, a man is tempted. And when that man becomes tempted, now his lusts are stirred. And as his lusts are stirred, he can be drawn away by those lusts. Meaning he's just giving attention to his lust. And then what has to happen after that is there has to be the enticement, the opportunity for those lusts to be fulfilled. And then when lust is conceived, then it brings forth sin. And just even according to this passage in, in James, that, that tells us that most all sins are willful. You know what you're doing. You know what's happening to you. You know you're being tempted. You know that you're being enticed to do something that you should not do. And then sometimes we give in to that lust and we fulfill it and we have sinned. So what is he talking about in Hebrews chapter 10 about willful sin? And if we understand it in the context, I believe it becomes evidently clear what he's talking about. So let's begin back in verse 26, Hebrews 10, read through some of these verses. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins. 
but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who has trodden underfoot the Son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and has done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongs unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But call to remembrance the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of afflictions. And so he begins to talk to us now about this offense that somebody can bring against God. And he outlines that, that offense in verse 29. It is to trodden underfoot the Son of God to count the blood of the covenant where he was sanctified as something that's unholy. And he does despite to the spirit of grace. This stirs up the wrath of God. And God's wrath is to be feared. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God as the Bible tells us that we just read. And so God is to be feared, and we should be afraid to transgress against God. To do despite, the Bible tells us in verse 29, to do despite to the Spirit of grace. That word despite means to insult the Spirit of grace. Those who disregard the cost of God, that it cost Him to give us the gospel will suffer the wrath of God against their life. And so I want to talk to you for a few moments about the wrath that is in the gospel of grace. There is a wrath for those that ignore the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the greatest wrath of all. And I want us to understand it. The Bible sets this, as we've just read it in Hebrews 10, and this is what we're picking out in these scriptures. We just read this. That if you think it was bad to not hear Moses, then how much more is it costly to not hear Jesus? If people suffered because they didn't listen to Moses and suffered the wrath of God, then how much more is a person going to suffer God's wrath who does not listen to Jesus? That's the comparison there in verse 28. And so we're beginning to understand that the willful sin... It's not the fact that you were enticed and you were tempted and you fell into lust and you did a particular thing. Maybe you smoked a cigarette and and you would think, now there's no more sacrifice. No, that's not the willful sin. The willful sin is for you to throw your confidence away in the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to count the covenant of blood as unholy, to, to trample upon the Son of God, and to do despite to the Spirit of grace, and to think that I must also believe in Jesus and work for my salvation. And that is the willful sin, to not believe that the covenant 
that is in Jesus Christ's blood is enough. And anybody who does not believe that the gospel of God's grace is not enough is an enemy of the new covenant. Just plain and simple as that. And so in, I, w- I want to follow this through in Hebrews chapter 12. And I, I kind of want st- I'm, I'm going to try to give us a context as we come into Hebrews chapter 10. So, so guys, listen to me what we're going to do. What we're going to try to establish to do in just a few minutes is come back to Hebrews chapter 10 verse 26. But we want to come back to Hebrews chapter 10 understanding the context of the book of Hebrews. Because Hebrews chapter 10 verse 26 is a very critical and transitional statement that is being made in this book. So in Hebrews chapter 12, I want you to see what we've come to. It says in verse 22 of Hebrews 12, You are come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. So see that you refuse not him that speaks. And he's talking about speaking, which takes us back to chapter 10, verse 28. They didn't listen to Moses. What's going to happen if they don't listen to Jesus? So don't refuse him that speaks. For if verses chapter, this is chapter 12, verse 25. For if they escaped not, who refused him that spoke on earth, Moses, how much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaks from heaven, Jesus? All right? So we're still in that context of chapter 10 that we've come to Jesus in this new covenant. Who is this that spoke? Let's make sure we understand that. Go to Hebrews chapter 1. Who is it that we're supposed to hear? Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2. It says, in these last days, God in the past spoke through the prophets, but in these last days he's spoken to us by his son. Chapter 2, therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, And every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? And remember, when Jesus came, the preaching changed all the way up until John The law and the prophets, the law was preached. But since Jesus came, the kingdom was preached. The gospel of the kingdom, the grace of God, a new covenant was being initiated that the Old Testament prophets did not preach. They alluded to it. They spoke of it, of of a covenant that was coming, but it wasn't there yet. But Jesus comes and he preaches so great salvation. And it is him that we must hear. Now, what makes a loving God so angry? What is going to cause a loving God who is offering grace to people, 
to be stirred up with a fiery hot wrath that we should be afraid of. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. What makes this God angry? What makes him angry, according to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29, are those who insult the spirit of grace. Those who trample his son, Jesus Christ. And those who consider that the blood of the covenant is unholy. This is what furiates a loving God. Nobody forsook Paul for preaching the law. But many forsook him because of the offense of the gospel. The offense of the New Testament. It is believed by many that the reason um, John Mark left the Apostle Paul and Barnabas on the missionary journeys was because at that particular time, John Mark was very offended at the gospel of grace and how it was putting aside Moses to lift up a new covenant that excluded an old covenant. And John Mark was offended by that and left Paul. Barnabas got John Mark corrected in that eventually. And John Mark became very profitable to ministry for them. So in Hebrews chapter 7, as it says, we're supposed to listen to Jesus. And so he tells us in Hebrews 7 verse 19. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did. By the which we draw near to God. Okay, so listen to this. Verse 19, very simple. The law didn't make anything perfect. And the law is this system of works, all right? You can call it religion. It makes nothing perfect. But a better hope that came does make things perfect. And it is through this better hope that people can draw near to God. You cannot draw near to God through the law. But you can draw near to God through this better hope that is being offered. I hope you understand that. In chapter 7, verse 25, it says this. Wherefore, he, speaking of Jesus, is able also to save them to the uttermost that come to God by him, seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. What's the better hope? It's Jesus. Jesus is the better hope. And Jesus can do what Moses could not do. Moses could not get you close to God. But Jesus can get you close to God. Jesus ever lives. Jesus is the high priest. And he makes intercession for you. And when you're coming to God through Jesus, you have hope. You have good hope, a better hope, a lasting hope. In chapter 8 of Hebrews. Now remember, we're trying to develop context as we come into chapter 10. In chapter 8, he says in verse 1, Now of the things which we have spoken, so this would be Hebrews 1 all the way to Hebrews 8. Of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Bless God, we have that. In verse 6, it says, And now has he... Jesus obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant. I'm grateful that there's a new covenant. And I'm grateful that the new covenant is better than the old covenant. 
And I'm grateful that you do not mix the old covenant with the new covenant or you lose everything. I'm just glad Jesus is better. And I'm glad there's a better hope. And it's a better covenant and it's established upon better promises. For if the first covenant, or what we often say, the old covenant, had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. But they had to seek for a second covenant or a new covenant because the old covenant did have fault. And that was with us, not with it. For finding fault with them, he says, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. You see that new covenant? Notice in verse 9 that the new covenant is not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers. So the new covenant is not like the old covenant. It's totally different and it's totally new. Don't mix the two together or you will lose everything. This is the problem in Hebrews chapter 10. The problem of Hebrews chapter 10 was they were tempted to mix the two covenants back together. Because of the persecution that they were going through. But these two covenants are separated. And this second covenant is better. And so he says there's a new covenant. It's not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers. In the day when I took them by the hand. Led them out of the land of Egypt. Because they continued not in my covenant. And I regarded them not saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. I will be to them a God. They shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me from the least to the greatest. That's the beauty of the new covenant. We're all the sons and daughters of God. We're all priests of the Lord. We're all near to God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Praise God. Whatever you know about God, I can know. Whatever Paul knew about God, I can know. And I can have that with God. And he says in verse 12, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In that he says a new covenant, he has made the first old. Now, that which decays and wax old is ready to vanish away. The old is vanishing away. It is disappearing, if you will. And so Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus has a more excellent ministry than Moses. Jesus has a better covenant than the covenant Moses made. Jesus has established better promises. The new covenant is not according to the old covenant, and it is a better covenant. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12, it tells us this about the new covenant. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, Jesus entered in once into the holy place. Having obtained eternal redemption for us, not yearly redemption like the Old Testament. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Now, I'm going to read verse 14 again. I want you to read it with me with this in mind. The offense, the willful sin of Hebrews 10, 28 and 29, is that they trampled the Son of God 
They they considered the blood of the covenant unholy and they insulted the spirit of of grace. Notice verse 14 of chapter 9. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who in chapter 10, they're trampling. How much more shall the blood of Christ, through the eternal spirit, whom they are insulting in chapter 10. But it is by the Spirit of God that Jesus offered himself and his blood as the sacrifice for our sins. It is through the Holy Spirit that Jesus offered himself. And it is only by the blood of Jesus and the Spirit of God that a man's conscience can be set free from dead works or purged in order to serve the living God. If anybody is going to serve God acceptably, it's going to be by the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And not a mixture of our self-effort. And for this cause, for this cause, for us to be able to draw near to God, to serve God, to have a conscience that's purged. For this cause, he is the mediator of the new covenant. And now you see all three. In chapter 9... And we're about to move into chapter 10. In chapter 9, you see all three elements that people are tempted to sin against in chapter 10. You see the blood, you see the spirit, and you see the covenant. And in chapter 10, that's what they're tempted to sin against. That's the willful sin. And so for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament. That by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament... They which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. You can't have eternal inheritance under the old covenant, only the new covenant. I pray that you understand. I hope you're with me. I hope you understand this. Verse 26 of chapter 9. For then, if he was like the priest of the past, he would often have to suffer since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world... Has he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself? And as it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. What a beautiful hope that is. And then in chapter 10, now we're coming into this context. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, And not the very image of the things can never, the law can never with those sacrifices, which they offered year by year continually, it can never make those who are coming perfect. It just can't do it. But Jesus can. Verse 9. And he said, Jesus said, lo, I come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that's the old covenant, that he may establish the second. That's the new covenant. So Jesus has come to fulfill the old covenant. That's how he takes it away. He fulfilled the law and he took it away in order that he could establish a new covenant by which men could actually come near to God. And so he says he takes away the first that he may establish the second by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for all. Wow, that is amazing. Through this new covenant, we are sanctified, made holy through the offering of the body of Christ Jesus 
once for all. It's done. The moment you come into Jesus, it's done. Ethan read that to us in Corinthians today, how Jesus is made unto us. Sanctification and wisdom and glory. He's made that unto us. So we have this redemption through Jesus Christ. We have this salvation through Jesus Christ that is phenomenal and it is beautiful what God has given us in him. And then if you just continue with me, we're going to look at this in verse 14, chapter 10, and we're going to come back into the context. For by one offering, he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. Can you believe that? There's a lot of people that can't because they don't feel holy. They're not living by faith. They don't feel holy enough. And because they don't feel holy enough by self-effort and religious works, they're going to begin to attempt to make themselves holier and better, go back to Moses, mix the two covenants, and lose everything. This is the, dang- this is the willful sin. That they're going to be tempted to do. Because it's hard to believe verse 14. When you look at yourself and you see how messed up you are. But we have to believe. That he has sanctified me once and for all. By his one offering. He has perfected me. The old covenant couldn't do that. But Jesus has done that in the new covenant. So he says this, for by one offering he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost is also a witness to us. For after that he had said before. This is the covenant. This is the Holy Spirit speaking. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them and their sins and iniquities Well, I remember no more. Wow. Tremendous. Tremendous. It's a shame that people don't have the revelation of that. It's so a shame because it really takes a revelation. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. It's the only way you can come is by the blood of Jesus. Stop looking at yourself. And look at Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Believe in the blood. So you can come into the holiest. This is the holy of holies. This is God's actual presence. God's very own intimate presence. You can come by the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way. You can't come by the old way. You can only come by this new and living way. What's this new way? It's the new covenant. It's what he's been talking about. Which he has consecrated for us through the veil. That's to say his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart. In full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. This is the temptation now. He's coming into it. Let's keep this profession of faith. Don't waver. For he's faithful that promised. Let us consider one another and provoke to love and to good works. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. As the manner of some is. But exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if. Now we're in the context. For if we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth. There remains no more sacrifice for sins. 
But a certain fearful looking of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. If you despise Moses' law, you died without mercy under two or three witnesses. How much more punishment are you going to get? If you trod underfoot the Son of God, the blood of the covenant you count as, as unholy. And you do insult or despite to the Spirit of grace. And we don't listen to him that spoke to us. In verse 30. And then he goes on, just for you to understand this, if you go in through chapter 10, and he says this in verse 32, Call to remembrance the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of affliction, partly while you were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly while you became companions of them that were so used. You had compassion on me and my bonds. You took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. Knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Cast not away therefore. This is the whole emphasis. Don't throw your confidence away. It has great recompense of reward. You need some patience. And after you've done the will of God, you'll receive the promise. Just a little while, a little while longer, a little bit more, just a little while more. And he that will come will come and will not tarry. And so the just will live by faith. But if any man draws back, my soul will have no pleasure in him. We're not of them who draw back unto perdition, but them that believe to the saving of the soul. And that's the whole context of chapter 10 and this story in Hebrews and what he goes on to tell us. That guys, we have come to a new covenant in Jesus Christ. We have come to a better high priest. We've come to a better promise. We've come to a better blood of covenant. We've come to, we have obtained an eternal inheritance, eternal redemption. We're sanctified once and for all by Jesus Christ. But the temptation to sin is the sin of this, that I'm suffering so much persecution. I'm suffering so much affliction because I'm believing in the gospel of grace and I'm not walking after Moses anymore, that the Jews are cutting me off and they're kicking me out of the synagogues and they're persecuting my family. And it was a lot easier when I told the line in Judaism. And, and the author of Hebrews is saying, don't go back there. Don't throw your confidence away, even while you're suffering. Just hold on a little bit longer. Have a little bit more patience. And he who's coming is going to come. We're not of those who go back. I'm not going back to that old covenant. Not going back to it. I'm not going to trample Jesus. I'm not going to trample his blood. And I'm not going to offend the Holy Spirit by going back to a life of religion and self-works. Not going to do it. People do it in our church all the time. And so what happens? That's the willful sin. The willful sin to go back to Moses. The willful sin to go back to self-works and religion. That is it, because if that happens, then it stands to reason, what hope do you have? If we count the covenant as unholy, if we set aside the covenant of Jesus' blood, now I'm just focusing right now in chapter 10, verse 29. If we count the covenant as unholy, then we're setting aside the covenant of Jesus' blood, and we will insult the spirit of grace. We're setting aside the means of... Of God giving us mercy. We're setting that aside. And if we set aside God's means of mercy. Then what should we expect? Wrath. It's not what God wants to give me. But if I count this covenant of blood. 
as unholy and set it aside. My only alternative now is I said, I don't want your mercy. And so I'm going to have your wrath upon my life. And this is a terrible, terrible thing for us to suffer if that is going on in our life. They've trodden underfoot the Son of God. This is to reject or have disdain for the power that is in the offering of God's own Son. That's, that's what it means to walk on that. It's to consider that the offering of Jesus Christ was not enough. Not enough. It was unworthy. It was insufficient as a sacrifice. Even when Hebrews chapter 10, verses 7 through 10, tell us, I've come to do your will, O God, and take away the first to establish the second. I've come to do that, that through offering the body of Jesus Christ once and for all, then he can sanctify those and make those perfect who trust in him. No, Jesus isn't enough. His sacrifice wasn't enough. We lose confidence in the finished work of Jesus and we believe that we must help him. The second thing, the second part of this sin in verse 29 is we count the blood of the covenant that we were sanctified with as unholy. Notice that in verse 29. He has counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified. You can turn away from this. You could have been sanctified. And then you can lose your confidence and you can turn away from it. That's why the Bible says we should gather together all the more and encourage one another and exhort one another in the faith. Especially as persecution comes. We as Americans haven't experienced persecution to the extent that we might. Then we will really need each other. And so in this particular thing of counting the blood of the covenant as unholy, it means to account or esteem the covenant flawed. Grace cannot be enough. It cannot be enough. You can't just preach grace. It's all we have to preach in the new covenant. It's the only way. The blood of Jesus and the spirit of the Lord is the only way. The significance of this is found in chapter 13 verse 20 that we read. We've come to Jesus. Verse 24 of chapter uh, of chapter 12. But in chapter 13 we come to this. Hebrews 13 verse 20. The God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. Jesus is the shepherd of the sheep. The God of peace. Who raised Jesus from the dead through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Make you perfect in every good work to do his will. That's grace. It's grace. You believe him. You trust him. And faith without works is dead. So your faith is going to be alive. You trust God. The God of peace through Jesus' blood is going to make you perfect in every good work to do His will. God is going to be working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ. And God is going to get the glory forever and ever. But we can't claim that if we count the blood of the covenant that we were sanctified with as unholy. Unholy. 
If we don't believe in the sufficiency of the blood, then we cannot believe that God, through the blood, can make us perfect. So we're not quite right enough. We're not quite clean enough. There's a little wrinkle in the garment, if you will. I'm sorry. Jesus is coming back for a bride without spot or wrinkle. The blood got all the spots out and all the wrinkles. Got it all out. That's what he did. And that's what we must believe. And then to do despite to the spirit of grace. Despite means to insult or outrage or provoke to anger the spirit of grace. Spirit of grace found in verse 15 of chapter 10. The Holy Spirit is the witness. He said this is the new covenant that I'm going to make through his blood. And we outrage the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of grace is trying to empower you with the, with the grace of God. And listen, I, I think God it says it this way. It doesn't say you've done despite to the Holy Spirit. It says you've done despite to the Spirit of grace. You begin to think grace is lacking. You're offending the Spirit of grace. You're stirring the Spirit of grace to wrath. That's the enemy of the cross. And it's a very significant thing to suffer When we do that, to outrage him, he turns to wrath. This is not talking to the lost, for it's talking to those who were sanctified. How do they willfully sin or go on sinning? How does this happen? Because of persecution or affliction or the desire for the flesh to live a holier life than it's living right now. And you believe that you can do better than God would want you to do. The admonition of Hebrews chapter 10 is, don't throw your confidence away. Don't throw it away, guys. The enemy of the cross just believes that Jesus' death is not enough, his blood is not enough, and the Holy Spirit can't sanctify you. That's the enemy of the cross. But people that love the new covenant believe this. Jesus' death satisfied the Father. The blood of Jesus satisfied the Father and the Holy Spirit that has been sent to the house of God, the church, my life. He is able to conform me to the image of Jesus Christ and he will do it by the blood of Jesus. And he has caused me to draw near to God and now I can serve God with a good conscience. Because now Jesus has made unto me everything that I need. Father, I thank you this morning In the name of Jesus, God, for the testimony of the Holy Spirit in the new covenant. I thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice of Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that this willful sin is to throw our confidence away and to go back to the principles of living that could have never saved us in the first place. And to not put our faith and confidence in you. But we place our confidence in you. We don't want to be enemies of the new covenant. We want to be those who preach the new covenant. And preach the grace of God. And the life of God. And the victory of God. I just want you for a moment. To consider your heart and your life. I want to ask you. I want you to consider if you have the revelation. Of this gospel. 2 Corinthians 3 says. That. Though it may seem so simple. The marvel of it is, is it demands a revelation of the Holy Spirit. And once you see it, you see it. The glory, the liberty, the freedom, the joy. You long after God and you long after His people. You don't forsake the fellowship of the body. 
And it's not about you, whether you need the body or not. It's your awareness of the body, that the body needs you. It's not what you get out of it, it's what you put into it. It's loving that body, it's loving Jesus Christ. Loving those that we worship with. And I thank God for you. I thank God for the way you pray, the way you love the Lord, the way you love on one another. But every one of us can be more intimate with God and with His church. This is what God makes us. This is what the Spirit of God does in our life. Let the Holy Spirit give you confidence today in faith. Wherever you are, you may be a person just totally sees the new covenant the beauty and the glory that it is but but just ask the Holy Spirit to take you deeper, stronger rooted and grounded in Christ Father we thank you in the name of Jesus that you examine our hearts and our lives cause us to walk after you God with an exciting and overwhelming love and joy for you thank you for what you've done for us for we were once enemies 